You are listening to the DIY Recording Guys podcast, your one-stop information source for DIY music production, with your hosts, Fadim Karaz and Benjamin Hall. Hey, hey, welcome to the DIY Recording Guys podcast. I'm Vadim from Calm Frog Recording, and I took a lot of time off. I don't think I've ever taken this much time off from anything for anything at any point in my life, like since high school. I, as I mentioned in previous episodes, am a new parent. My wife and I just had our first child, and I took like four weeks off from everything. Didn't do studio stuff. Obviously didn't do podcast stuff. Also didn't do my mechanical engineering part-time job. Obviously being a new parent carries with it some of its own tasks and challenges, but it was still nice to get away and do something different. Now, of course, I'm back and the challenge is finding a new schedule, a new some kind of structure or something. But anyway, things are going really well. I call the little guy Mon Quixote, but his real name is Leo. and He's very cute. This week's episode is all about these things, working in headphones. We're going to talk about different headphone types, how to use them, how to get the most mileage in your studio from your headphones. And in preparing for it, I was kind of, you know, listing different types of headphones that we run into. Like, for example, you know, we have in-ear headphones or like in-ear monitor. Sometimes they're called IEMs. You might hear that term. These types of headphones are over-the-ear headphones, and then they come in a couple of different flavors. There's open back and there's closed back. We'll talk about the differences and why you may prefer one over the other. So we're going to get into all those kinds of details, give you some some practical tips and tricks as always. Talk about the background of why headphones are different than speakers and what you need to be aware of when you're, for example, mixing or recording in headphones. And before, if you asked me a couple of months ago about like in-ear monitors or earbuds or something like that, I would have probably cautioned you to stay away from them in the studio There's a number of reasons why. I mean, I have them, but I wear them mostly like for travel because the the sound isolation is really good, but there's a lot of challenges with them. And it just so happened that our friends at Flare Audio, who full disclosure, we have an affiliate program with. So if you want to buy Flare Audio stuff, you can check the show notes. There's a link, help support us. Uh, They sent me a pair of new headphones that they've developed called the E-Prototypes. And these are like the the earbud design. And I've been listening to them for a couple of months now. By the time this episode airs, I'm really kind of blown away what they've done. They're far and above the best like earbud type headphone that I've ever heard. So much so that I've started referencing in them actually. For example, if I get masters back or even sometimes to check my mixes at certain points, I've started using them, which tells you how much I've I've come to trust them for a number of different reasons, which we will also talk about. So this episode is going to be split into two episodes, or two, sorry, to two parts. I wanted to bring Davies Roberts, founder and creative mind behind Flare Audio, back on to talk about the e-prototypes and earbuds in general, what's wrong with earbuds, and how is Flare Audio working to fix them with this new technology they're calling USQ. So that's going to be the first part of the episode. And then the second part of the episode is going to be me talking about more broadly about headphones, 
different headphone types and tips and tricks for you to use in the studio. It's always great to get a little bit of Davey's time and I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Okay, Davies, welcome back to the DIY Recording Eyes podcast. Hi, Vadim. Great to see you again. I, I'm not 100% sure, but I think you're our first repeat guest, which is oh. very exciting. <laughs> I'm very honest. <laughs> I'm very honest. It's great to be back. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah, we talked to you back on episode 62 when we were talking about why none of us can really hear what we think we're hearing. And we talked about how our ear geometry really makes it impossible for sound, especially high-frequency sound, to kind of get in cleanly. It kind of tumbles around and reflects and causes, I think you said up to like 20 or even a little bit higher dB of distortion in the kind of upper-mid high-frequency range where we're all sensitive anyway. And certainly something I've noticed for myself. To that end, you guys had developed a couple of products like Calmer and HD360, HD90, a couple of other lines. I use the Calmers all the time. They're a lifesaver for me. And the idea of those products is they create a waveguide, a nice kind of almost like a, a lens that allows sound to come in smoothly into the ear without tumbling and without creating some of those distortions. In that episode, towards the end, I think, we started talking about headphones and we were asking you about in-ear monitors. You told us some of the reasons why these in-ear monitors typically don't sound that great. I think you described something you called the barrel effect. Is that right? Yeah, yep, that's correct. Yeah, so the barrel effect where you're taking the full frequency spectrum and shoving it into a little tube, which is then shoved into your ear, and um, it just doesn't work. I said, hey, if you can solve that for us in your spare time, that would be great. I thought I would get a laugh out of you, but you didn't laugh. You said, we're working on it. <laughs> <laughs> so now here we are a couple months later. You guys have come out with the e-prototypes which is a very exciting product based on a very exciting technology. We're here today to talk to you about that and about working in headphones in general. So maybe to get started, give us an overview of why traditional headphones don't work as well as we'd like them to. Yeah, so our ear is, is basically an organic shape, which has a tube, a couple of shells, and we hear inputs of sound uh, as they travel in our ear and resonate. So that natural resonation has been there so that we're alerted to stress and we're alerted to the slightest frequency, um, crack of a twig, anything that happens in the world. But from a music point of view, those high frequencies as they travel in, as they reflect, it's a bit like going into a wonky mirror sort of set up in a, in a fun, fun ground, a fun park. You know, we don't see the true image and our brain has to filter out all that distortion until we hear the, the, the music we want to hear. So with the e-prototype, we've got a new technology which we've developed called USQ. And what that does is use a series of waveguides that are inside the earphone so that it projects sound onto our eardrum as a mirror image as close as it can. So we're not, we're not using the traditional acoustic approach, which is to get a chamber, put a drive on it and make it sound like this. We're not doing that because that mm. is where you get the chaotic reflections. What the USQ does and what the prototype has got, it's a proof of concept product, is to reflect sound in the most accurate way instead of just squirting it into our ears. And that's the problem with all traditional headphones and traditional loudspeakers is because of this something like 20% distortion, 21 dB at 100, if you measure the 
uh, a mannequin head with 100 dB of sound, 21 dB is going to be added in mid-range distortion. So that's around 20%. That distortion, it really is masking us from hearing more detail. Um, and when, when you say to people, well, your ears are distorting by 21 dB or 20%, they just, they can't understand it. And that's because we're used to listening to this since the day we're born. And our radio DJ the other day in the UK said, oh, our, he our heads resonate like a bell. And he was actually spot on. They do all the time. Mm. It's something that I'm really interested in from a, from a home recording perspective, because in, in these DIY recording situations, we're, we're always struggling with acoustics. We're never going to get a perfect space in a small home studio. And so inevitably, for the home producer, the DIY musician, headphones are a crucial reference. Every, every one of us has to have some kind of reference that we trust. So it's really interesting that traditional headphones have problems. And, and I think the problems differ. So maybe we could talk about, I think, like commonly, for example, traditionally, if you see somebody in a studio, they're wearing these types of headphones or they're over the ear. I think last time you touched a little bit on why even even this design, like an open back design, is problematic. You mentioned it a little bit there. Maybe go into a little more detail on what's happening as we have a driver moving in there. Why aren't we able to get, other than the, the ear geometry factor, which we've already discussed, what about the, the product itself is causing distortion or preventing accurate sound from, from entering our ears? Yeah, it's really because of the way that it's designed and the way that our ears connect with that design. Um, so a traditional headphone has got a diaphragm going backwards and forwards. It's got a chamber that's this side of the ear and also the other side of the driver. So there's two chambers, back and front, mm -hmm. unless you've got open back headphones. Uh, but you've still got this chamber on the ear side and then you've got to go through a couple of chambers within the ear itself. Um, now just from a particle sense, if you imagine a particle vibrating backwards and forwards, it transmits its information to the next one, to the next one, to the next one. So they're all sort of moving like that as you disrupt to cause mm. sound. Well, it doesn't take too much working out to go, well, if you start to put that into a cup, three shells, one chamber and two smaller shells, that accurate movement is no longer accurate. You end up with a very damped, very low resolution uh, representation. Um, there, is, there is also a lot of... Um, I've got a lot of interest in uh, the cochlear implant side of things. So um, I was chatting, chatting to a person who worked for a, a charity uh, that works for people who are hard of hearing. And they um, implant cochlear implants to the back of the skull so that people can hear again. And when they first had that done, they described hearing higher resolution sound than they've ever heard before. And it's, it's like super high definition but also very robotic. And that's sort of really the goal, is to try and get um, our ears directly connected to the impulse of sound. You know, so acoustic theory, where we start to sort of resonate and create chambers, is great in, in pianos and in guitars and in all kinds of other instruments, because we want to hear that resonation, which gives it its tone. But the resonation after that, so resonation in amplifiers, microphones, headphones, and our ears, we don't want. And so that's really what right. the goal of USQ was, is to try and remove as much added resonance as we can from the device and from our ears. Yeah, I remember you talking about this last time, because I think 
open ear headphones or something like I, I would only if I were mixing with uh, over the ear type headphones, open back are preferred because open back meaning that I have a like a mesh here, so that this is open to the atmosphere. And it's kind of a more natural sound. You can hear a little bit more of the ambient surroundings. But what you're saying is even with this design, basically between the driver and my ear is kind of like a little speaker cabinet. I have basically a cavity as that driver is moving back and forth. It's creating pressure and relieving pressure. And as it's kind of moving forward to to move the, the air particles to create sound, it's running into pressure and that's causing it to not even move the way the exact way it wants to which translation is distortion as you said it's a resonance of a cavity yeah right? it's, it's yeah it's resonance of a cavity it's also decay um, because you've now got a spring effect in between the driver and your ear uh, that mm -hmm. spring effect also causes issues with symmetry so you get an asymmetric movement of the driver rather than a symmetric movement of the driver so um, pressure is not energy linear. So if you, if you put your finger over a, a syringe, it's very difficult to push it in, but it's very easy to pull it out. And that's because as you add more particles to a space, as you, as you compress it, you're ending up causing heat. And so that's why it's, it requires more energy. So yeah there's, there's, yeah, there's a whole variety of issues in terms of how you get an impulse into your ear and how you get a, a sort of balanced uniform sound wave into your ear without having all this added um, decay, resonance, and unwanted distortion. Right, so just, yeah, it's kind of interesting because I think about it like if I take these headphones off and they're sitting on the desk, then they don't have that back pressure, but they don't do me any good sitting on the desk. They have to be on my head for me to use them. So I guess to, to, to summarize where we are now, we have this, these couple of problems. One is, we have created chambers when we put on headphones or even with in-ears, we're creating a pressurized chamber that's causing an asymmetric uh, movement of the, the, the diaphragm, which is creating distortion. In addition, we have this problem of our ear geometry where sound can't quite get in as smoothly as it wants to. And so all of these things are, are leading to distortion. So you've, you've started talking about USQ a little bit, maybe get us into Go ahead. You want to add something? There? Yeah, just on top of all that, if it is, if the problem isn't complex yeah. enough, <laughs> right? Um, with the driver not moving properly, the the pressure not going into the ear properly, and and all those problems, the 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 third issue on top of all that is as you as the driver gets resisted, it then sends microphonics back down the uh, the cable into the amplifier which then they have to have capacitors and a whole variety of um, stabilization electronics in order to stop the effect of the trampoline. So, oh, so that's fascinating. So you, you, yeah. you, you then add electronics into the issue. And this is why some issues sound, uh, some uh, products sound better on some amplifiers and others better on other amplifiers is because of this stability ah. issue. Um, what you'll notice with USQ is you don't need those electronics. You can plug straight into a regular Apple DAC and get a, an amazing result. And that's because we don't need that stabilization. Think of it, think of it and think of our brain as a bit like a trampoline. And the more people you've got on the trampoline, the harder it is to get your uh, uniform movement in order to what you want to do. That's fascinating. I do have to, to make a point there because people who listen to this podcast will know we talk about something like a dynamic microphone which is effectively 
a speaker in reverse. There we're using like this microphone here is a dynamic microphone and my voice is impacting the diaphragm. That diaphragm moving is sending an electrical signal down the microphone cable. So that's what you're talking about is when we, when we pressure, when we add some kind of unwanted pressure onto the diaphragm, we actually are creating even an electrical impact down, down the line or upstream the line in this case. And then we need electronics and capacitors and bits like that to, to dampen that out. That's, I never even thought of that. That's, that, that. that's why amplifiers might make a difference. That's really fascinating. Yeah, it's Very really cool. important with some acoustic speakers, especially with ones that have a high degree of internal reflections inside them. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we, you recognize these problems. Cool. And then you decide to develop some products that resolve these issues. So... What is USQ? What does it stand for? How did you come? How did it come about? What is it? Yeah, so USQ stands for Universal Sound Quality. Uh, it's a patent that we had filed um, globally, a PCT patent, and it enables us to develop um, a range of different earphones, hearing aids, um, or in-ear inserts that enable us to get a much higher quality of sound into our ears. So. We've approached this completely differently to the traditional um, earphone and headphone and loudspeaker market where people are investing vast amounts in drivers, in electronics, in uh, designs, in, in use, using unusual materials. Um, we've recognized where the problem is. And so we're, we're addressing the problem at source, which is our ears and how the driver connects into our ears. And so Mm. It's, a, it's a first proof of concept. Uh, we released this ahead of time because we knew it was going to take a number of years to develop the technology into a range of consumer uh, variants, which we are working on. Um, we um, recognize that there's a problem here, not just for um, the listeners to enjoy music in higher definition, but there's also a massive problem for producers, artists, engineers, um, in order, in terms of reference, in terms of being able to rely on a reference because of all these distortions being unique. Um, a lot of producers have been in a whole world of pain all their lives trying to uh, not be taken away from their reference because they're so reliant on this. They're so concerned about moving away from it. And so we recognize that as being this, this distortion. And so, our goal is to create one universal sound quality, one uh, way of everybody hearing truly high definition sound that's not been heard before, uh, making it a, at a price point that's affordable for everyone so that we don't get this um, unfairness of sound quality because up to now, um, sound quality has been uh, a very um, divisive issue a divisive issue that's based on price. Um, um, I don't like that. I don't like the fact that you can only experience the art, you know, if you're going to spend X amount of thousands of pounds. I recognize that if we could develop a technology which enable people to experience the high definition sound at an entry level price point, then um, everyone's going to enjoy listening to music more. And so that was really the goal of USQ. That's what we're trying to do. Um, but the, this world is full of mismar mismarketing in, in sound quality. A lot of people have been told, hey, you know, this is, this is what you need to spend in order to get this level of sound quality or uh, this, this product will do X, Y, Z and it never quite does. Um, so 
we've got to cut through in, 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 a, in a world that's been heavily marketed. And we've also got to do it in a way which we can scale because we're, we're a team of 19 people in not so sunny Lansing. We've got a storm coming tomorrow. <laughs> but um, yeah. we, we, we've got a lot to do. We've got global ambitions uh, as, a, as a company because of what we've managed to unlock. Um, I, when I set out on this journey 11 years ago, I set out to understand what the problems were in sound because I realized that there was a lot of guessing going on. There was a lot of unearthed issues that hadn't been addressed. And when I started out on this journey, I set to do this for, from the get-go for everyone. I wanted to make it universal. So that was really why this name came about, why the technologies mm. came about, why we've launched it as a prototype. It, it is currently quite expensive because every single earphone that we currently print for any prototype has to be uh, 3D printed, it takes about nine hours. It's hand assembled by a team here at Flair. Um, and to do that is, is an expensive process. Um, where we're now working on how we can get those costs down and how we can also improve the sound even more, take it to even higher levels ah, of detail okay. um, and just just sort of push that envelope in all directions so that we achieve a, a, a sort of an entry level price point as well as achieving mind bogglingly high levels of details of sound at a price that's affordable for the, for the markets that are using it. Um, cool. it's really difficult to do that <laughs> when you're up against yeah. the likes of mighty giants you know when you're going against brands that have got hundreds of millions if not billions of, 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 of dollars of revenue to be able to push their products out to people so we we've got to do it from a sustainable point we've got to do it from a point that we can scale from um, but we've also got to get that message out there that this is where the issues are without people you know, disbelieving it as to, oh, it's just another hype snake oil product. Right. Yeah, I think the way you described it to me, I don't remember if it was the last time we talked or in an email, but it was kind of this, this vision that me as a music listener at home, I'll be able to hear exactly what the artist and the producer and the mix engineer and the mastering engineer intended me to hear. So yeah. we're all kind of hearing the same thing. Likewise, if, you, if you're a musician, then... You know, you want to get something that's accurate to your vision out there and have people hear it the way you intended them to hear it. So USQ, the way I understood it was this idea that we should all be kind of working with the same sound quality. We should all be hearing what the people who made the music intended us to hear, which is a, a really yeah. beautiful mission. Yeah, it's, just, it's, it's that universal reference, universal sound quality. And the other... Um, the other exciting aspect of this is because when we first started, when we talked on our podcast and through the product development of the e-prototype, I didn't know where the sound was going to go, where the sound quality was going. I was just focusing on the particle physics of what we were trying to do, making sure that we got that wave in without any sort of damage or degradation. What I didn't expect was to, to unlock so much detail. I didn't think that I would take it beyond the recording studio. And that's where what's, what's happened mm. with, with where we've gotten to. When you listen to stuff from the 40s and 50s, stuff that was once quite sharp to the ears has now become this most hyper-realistic sound. And so it's taking everybody beyond their normal hearing that you would get in the studio, which was the exciting bit. And 
that's what we now want to do. So if we can get everybody up to this reference, we can now get everybody listening at the same level. We're not going to get this, uh, frankly, butchering of sound in the studio where we compress and where we reduce detail and we make it sound good on average speakers, which horrifies me. And what also horrifies me is you go back through the remasters and people are listening to absolutely blisteringly great recordings with the most highest transients and they're compressed and taken down so they don't sound harsh anymore. Well, actually what they're doing is taking out the detail that needs to be there. And so I'm in a bit of a race against time before too many masters <laughs> are, are, are butchered. Um, because it's I can... so funny you say that because I'm always looking for the original version of these old records that aren't remastered. Because the other thing I feel like they do is just the the hot they just boost the presence on it it's all it's com it's more compression and more presence and some of it is um yeah you you lose a lot of that intricate dynamic detail and also actually some of it becomes harsher to me because now it's yeah. trying to match the brightness of modern digital recordings which i don't know why but that seems to be the trend yeah it's 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 in a bit of a race against time and i i believe that issue has come because of our ears i think that because of this this distortion that's going on. I think that people have, they don't want to hear that. And so they're smoothing out tracks, they're using auto-tune, we're, we're compressing, we're trying to make everything sort of synthesized, nice and gentle on our ears because of that issue. Um, mm. This is gonna flip it on the head. If we can, if we can get you know, the traction that we need to, to start making this understood, that's gonna be really interesting to see where the art goes from there because for me personally, like yourself, I'm chasing those original masters. I'm trying to find the original recordings. And when you do, they just come alive and it's like, whoa, you know, where, where's this going? We need we need to try and steer this in the other direction. Mm, I see. Yeah. Okay. So you have this idea for, for USQ. And and the, I, I guess e-prototype is really the first product that qualifies under this this usq right yep yep so proof Technology. of concept we wanted to get it out there so that we had something to show people we had something for you to listen to so that you can understand the technology at the first instance um and then there's a range of products coming from there cool okay that was going to be one of one of my questions for you so with this um is it okay if i if i show yeah yeah show of course it? yeah totally yeah, so you guys kindly sent me a pair, and I've been um, I've been listening to them for the past couple of weeks, and really, there's there's three boxes that headphones have to check for me. These these check all three, and that's basically stereo imaging. I want to have a really crisp stereo field where things I can place things exactly where they are. It's not just center channel and side channels. I want to be able to place where that shaker is. I want to be able to place the tambourine exactly in space. That's excellent stereo imaging. These definitely have that. The other two, the other two things are uh, transient response and frequency response. So I want to be able to hear all the frequencies, and I want to hear transients the way they should be heard. For me, the always test of this is always to listen to like um the jazz records with a lot of hand percussion instruments and i really want to hear the transients on those hand percussion instruments so you guys i think managed to do all three of those things say what you can about how you're able to check those three boxes and if if you don't yeah. like it we can no, <laughs> if you say okay. too much we can we can cut it yeah yeah no that's okay um i mean I, i'll try and explain um we don't tune the product because 
with, um, with traditional headphones and earphones, because you're using a chamber, you have to have people either with golden ears or people who are happy to sort of tune their, in, their, their earphones to how they want them to sound. That, that requires a whole degree of process of tuning. We don't do that because we're focusing on particle movements and we're focusing on how particle interactions will happen. So it's very simple sort of thought experiments about how particles will, inter will interact. We're trying to make sure that that movement of that driver matches the impulse that's at the eardrum. It's, it's that mm -hmm. simple. So there is no tuning to be done. There is no, uh, there's nothing we can do. It's, it's literally a case of deploying the technology so that that impulse comes on the ear in an exact mirror way. So mm -hmm. that's why we're able to achieve that. And um, for me, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not an engineer in terms of uh, production, of music production. I'm an engineer in terms of creating product. But from an engineering perspective, I see it as almost being able to solo every instrument on the desk at once so that you're able to spot all the different instruments in the mix. If you've got two guitars side by side, you can now hear them side by side rather than just blending together. Um, think of it a bit like um, with low resolution screens, uh, before we had uh, 4K, 8K resolution retina displays, we would have low resolution screens and everything would sort of blend into one pixel. So as we started with newspapers, we had these just dots on the, on the newspaper and that it was very grainy. Then as we started to get higher and higher resolution, we used more and more dots, more and more colors, and that's when suddenly you start to see higher and higher resolution. So it's a bit like that with sound. If you've got a lot of um, resonance going on, a lot of smashing around going along inside your ears, you're going to lose that ability to spot the dots. And so by having those dots as mirror image as possible on the impulse of a sound wave, you're basically getting as high resolution uh, as you can possibly hear. Um, it won't then go any higher than that. Once you've gotten to the point where you've got mirror image delivery, um, you're at the point of retin display for your ears. Mm. Hey, one, one thing I think that's cool, you guys have, again, we, we can feel free to, this is saying too much, but it looks like you basically have created something like an open, open back design for... Um, for headphones to, I guess, in part to reduce the, the back pressure on that driver when it moves back. And on the front end, you have kind of like, like a waveguide shape that then reduces pressure to the front of the driver. So I guess that's two ways you're minimizing that driver distortion and also some of those reflections that come down the wire that you mentioned, which is very cool. And then the other portion of it is, I guess, the way that the waveguide guides sound into your ears. Are there any similarities with that that guiding principle to what you have done with with Calmer and and EarHD. Yes, yeah, very sim very similar. Um, it's all about okay. it's all about waveguides and being able to uh, mathematically create uh, a selection of them so that as the wave reflects inside, it, it goes into your ear. I mean, this is um, this is widely used in in pro audio. They use horns all the time to create line arrays or to create um, different spherical dispersions. Um, a line array concept works by basically lining up speakers in, in a stack so that the waveforms, so that the output of the speakers, the, the particles all join together. Well, they, not join together, wrong word. 
they move together so that there's less friction. There's, there's less friction between them. Um, give you an example. It, it would be like having 10 rivers side by side. If you had those 10 rivers that weren't connected, it would be quite hard for the, it would, it, the, the river would not flow downhill that easily. Whereas if you took away the connections between those 10 rivers and there was just one big river flowing down the hillside, the weight and the mass of the water traveling down the river would speed up the flow. And that's basically mm. what happens with a liner rate because you're removing friction between each sound impulse, between the dispersion of particles, you're actually getting more flow through. And so inside um, the e-prototype, the USQ technology, we're using a series of waveguides that enable that sound impulse to travel through the earphone and into the eardrum with as much accuracy as possible. We're not trying to create the most rigid diaphragm as possible, as certain drivers do. We're not trying to use electronics to correct any HRTF distortion, which is what a few of the major manufacturers are now doing. We're trying to do it via changing the shape of our inner ears. So we're trying to make sure that we get a delivery in our ears that is uniform. Mm. Let's talk about Fitment, and this is gonna help, I think, people who work in, in headphones in general. Talk about the importance of Fitment, what it means, which is, in other words, how, how well the headphone fits inside your ear, what that does to frequency response and any consideration specifically for, well, for any brand, but also for, for e-prototypes. What are, what are, what's going on there? Uh, so phase accuracy onto the eardrum is one of the benefits of USK technology. We're, we're effectively focusing the output of the earphone directly on the eardrum. So it's completely in phase as it hits your ear. If you don't get good fitment, so if you, if you um, don't have the cable hanging down and you have them slightly twisted or slightly back or you don't have a great seal or it's not quite in line. It's a bit like if you were to move your monitors in the studio slightly off phase, you're not gonna hear the same degree of sound quality because you're now getting phase shift or phase smear inside your ears. So yeah, fitment is key. In fact, it's one of the challenges we have. Uh, we're currently working on um, a lot of different tip designs in order to try and make sure we get that universal fit because ears are incredibly different and no, no two ears are the same. Everybody has a slightly different inner ear, outer ear, middle ear, um, it's all different. So although this technology gets over the two biggest problems inside our ears to do with the two shells, it doesn't um, itself get over the fitment. And that's where we're working on these tip designs in order to create that universal fit. Mm, yeah, I've, I've, I've been curious about this for a long time. Even before I had the prototypes, I remember thinking about ways I could calibrate. Is that, like yourself, I'm always trying to get to that reference. I'm always trying to get to what's honest. And with in-ears, I was always looking for ways to, to calibrate or to be able to apply some kind of calibration curve to them to make them more honest and one of the challenges you run into of course is that the low end response specifically is very much affected by how good your seal is so if you don't have a proper seal the low end seems to to drop off and then if you have a really good seal the low end will be where it needs to be with the high end it's more i, I find and I, i've seen it with with these as well if if you kind of if you if you turn them like you said with that with the speakers right if you turn your speakers if your tweeters of your speakers are not 
really directed towards your ears, it affects the high frequency response. I guess it's kind of a similar concept here. If if you're not directing exactly into the ear the way you want to, the high frequency will change. So yeah. there are some some challenges there. But I've actually found, I mean, I think these things came with three tips. I, I So far, I've used the smallest tip on them. And I'm able to, I mean, it takes a little bit as it always does with in-ears, but I'm able to get a, um, a pretty good seal on them most of the time. Also, I'll say like, uh, sound isolation is key. The reason I got into in-ears in the first place was because when I was traveling or in loud, noisy places, I, I can't wear headphones like this because I need good isolation from the ambient noise, which is always, you know, that's a, that's a recipe for disaster as well. If, you're, if your answer to ambient noise is just to turn up the volume, you're sure to run into hearing loss, which is why I got into in-ear monitors in the first place some number of years ago. And so this has been something I've been working to refine. And I will say that, you know, these e-prototypes are hands down the best in-ear headphones I've ever heard in my life. So kudos to you guys for, for that. Great. I think that's really great to hear. As a, as a proof of concept that's 3D printed using a photopolymer yeah. resin, that's, that's, you know, that's, that's really great to hear. I, I can't wait for you to hear the other products when they, when they, when they start to come through. Um, it's interesting that you say about the sound isolation because um, part of my other pet hates about isolating against sound is the current way of doing it is um, to use an inverse wave to try and counteract any wave that's coming through the plastic that's entering your ears or whatever the device you've got. That's never going to be great from a reference point of view because if you're automatically trying to inverse any sound that's coming in from the outside, your reference is now going to be a bit like jelly uh, on the inside. Um, yeah. And I, I, are you I, talking about like like active noise cancelling? Yeah, technologies? active, active yeah. noise cancelling technologies. So that yeah. that's that's one aspect which we which I don't like because again it's just, it's damaging the art. This, the second thing is if you've taken away um, this resonance that's in our ear canal, the twenty one dB of of natural resonance, because effectively putting this in your ear, you're getting rid of those shapes. So you're you're replacing it with with these waveguides that you have in your ear. That itself is a natural cancellation because you've taken away that bell-shaped resonance that's constantly resonating, whether you've got headphones on or, or you're, you haven't got anything on your ears, mm. taking that away effectively is like cutting 21 dB of noise. So that's the reason right. that these atten attenuate so well, is because they're only thin plastic and they're, they're no different to any other um, earphone in terms of their thickness, but they're isolating because they're removing that resonance. And so they've got a natural, okay. a natural isolation ability, which was which was not expected. <laughs> I, I didn't um, set out to make these isolating earphones. I set out to try and achieve that mirror image sound quality, and I was all I was all I was focused on was that. But the isolation has come as a shock, and the only way I can explain it is by taking away that resonance. So you're saying, like, even if I have them in my ears, even if I'm not playing any music. I'm still effectively, kind of like wearing collars, I'm still effectively knocking down that 21 dB of yep. distortion? Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Because oh, okay. you've taken away that cave effect. So if, imagine um, being in a cave and just having some background noise in there. You will always be listening to that background noise. And if you've taken away that cave effect, you'll still hear the noise, but at a significantly lower level, just like you were outside. So mm. a conversation outside a cave is a lot quieter than a conversation inside a cave. 
because of that reflected sound. Right, and it's not. It, it's um, actually my my wife and I were were staying at a place where there was a um, a TV kind of mounted into a wall, and it was it was kind of in a corner and next to a stone wall, and the intelligibility was so bad of the sound coming out of that TV. Like you just had to keep turning it up and up and up and you still kind of couldn't hear what was happening. And uh, that's, that's part of the, the thing that's exciting about getting a, a better sound quality is that for, as from a studio standpoint, it allows you to monitor at lower volumes, which allows you to work longer without getting fatigued in a day and also allows you to work longer into your career without damaging your hearing. Well, that's another really interesting aspect of this technology is what we found is that people have got some form of hearing damage um, or they've got a dip in one ear. They don't get that when they wear these. Um, So we know a couple of studio producers who say that normally when I listen to a female vocal, it's over here slightly to the right. But when I wear these, it's back in the middle again. Um, And so as we lose frequency in one side or another, we're we're losing our ability to spot information at that frequency, right? So that's that's what's happening when we lose a bit of our hearing. Well, if you're upping the resolution so that you get more detail at every frequency, then that pops right back in. And so part of the other mission that's now on the on the long R&D schedule is how we deploy this into hearing aids because this patent that we have on this covers us for use in hearing aids and what i've realized with the hearing aid market is everybody's just turning it up and they're turning up that resonance and so as people start to get hearing issues and hearing if they're listening to loud music a lot um, they're only going to make their hearing worse if they wear hearing aids And so what we want to try and do is deploy this into hearing aids so that we can up the resolution without upping the level so that people don't damage their hearing. So you started talking about this. So we talked about the e-prototypes. That's really the the proof of concept for USQ. In as much as you can say about products coming down the line, where else is this kind of technology applicable? I mean, are we talking like over-ear headphones, speakers, hearing aids you mentioned, like what, what else are you guys thinking about? So uh, a range of earphones for um, all uses is what we're focusing on uh, in development at the moment with using USQ technology. Um, we want to make sure we appeal to broad consumers as much as uh, artists on stage, as much as engineers in the studio. So we're working on that. Mm. Um, yes, it will deploy into uh, a headphone. Um, it's more challenging because you're going from a very large driver through um, some technology which to get it into your ears. Um, that is going to be right. down the line. Um, it's not something we can do relatively quickly. Um, we do have already, because you've, you've seen the HD 90 and 360, you've seen Karma. There is, uh, there's devices that we can put into our ear that's covered by this patent that will enable us to reduce the distortion through a coupling device. So there's um, various iterations that we can do down that route. So it's there's a very much, there's a very big whiteboard in in Flare HQ of all the different uh, connotations of how this tech can de- at this and other tech because I think we're at, we're at about thirteen patents now that we have focused around this distortion of particles that's happening in our ears or in loudspeakers. So we've got this huge whiteboard. We've got a very small team of 19 people. We're a tiny company, really. 
in terms of um, playing on the global stage, although we're shipping to 186 countries now, uh, thanks wow. to the internet, thanks to um, Facebook and awareness that we're creating. Um, but it's still, there's still a lot to do. You know, when people see us in the flesh and they see us as a, as a team of 19 people, they're going, whoa, I thought you were this huge, you know, corporate company. We're not. Myself and Naomi form Flair. Um, we lead a team of very passionate people who uh, we're all self-taught. So we're not, you know, we're not electronic whiz kids. We're not, um, we're not corporates who have been there and done it before. We are a team of passionate people who really genuinely want to unlock these technologies to make a genuine difference. I, I set out this company not to sit here and make money. This, this just wasn't what Flair was about. It was about unlocking these issues. It was about doing something that gave me purpose in my life. So as far as the product development roadmap goes, it's, it's, it's a constant battle about what we do, what we don't do, what we do next, what's easiest, mm. what's the next lowest hanging fruit right. in order to get more scale so that we can employ more people so that we can build this in a real organic, genuine way. The right technology that's being adopted in the right way, that's being understood in the right way, that we can then partner with people and scale this so that everybody ends up wearing this earphone, everybody ends up hearing higher definition sound. The snake oil's gone, here's the real deal. And, um, and happy days, the artists are gonna be enjoying the art more and everybody's enjoying it more. So yeah, that, if there's a reason why people go, well, why aren't they doing this? Why aren't they doing that? They could just create this, they could just create that. Yeah, we could, we've got 2 million followers on Facebook, we've got hundreds of thousands of customers. We could quite easily sell out and create a branded headphone that, you know, just had our name on it because of what we do. No, that it's got to be this holy grail of mirror and sound quality. And to do that, you need to take a step-by-step -step careful approach. Step-by-step, -step, we get further and further down, down, the, down the way. So that's, that's, yeah. that's the goal of it. It's, it, it means it's exhausting. <laughs> It means it's incredibly stressful. It means it's a lot of hard work from everyone. It means there's um, the school of hard knocks route all the way through. Um, it's what isn't working, what is working, how do we improve, how do we make this better, how do we make this more desirable for people, how do we make it look cool? You know, that's the, mm. the also the next challenge that we're focusing on now is how we make this all look like the next big thing. So, right. you know, I... I want all age groups to be attracted to our products. I want them to say, ah, oh, I really want the flare earphone. This is really what I want to be wearing. So they're all the challenges that we face on this whiteboard of blue yeah. sky thinking that we have in our product development yeah. roadmap. Well, Davies, any, uh, I guess, let people know where they can find you guys and, and learn more about what you do. Um, I'm going to probably talk a little bit more about, about working in, in headphones as, as part of this episode, but feel free to, to add um, any contact information or yeah, so you can, where people can find you. You can find us on the Flare website, which is flareaudio.com, spelled F-L-A-R-E-A-U-D-I-O.com. You can follow us on uh, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, Flare Audio. We're on TikTok as well. Um, important thing for people is to sign up for our mailing list um, because we don't, we're not, um, obviously for one, the mailing list is private. It stays with just Flare. You get to know about our latest products. But we always release the products first ahead of time 
through email so that we let our fans and people who want to know about us know first. So with all the exciting technologies we've got coming up, it's a good idea to sign up for that. Um, make sure you add us to your contacts as well so that it doesn't go into the spam filter. That's uh, it's always one to do with, uh, with emails, unfortunately. Um, right. But yeah, we have a big following on social. We have a, an engagement with people and people can always contact us and ask questions. We're very engaging as a company. Um, we always welcome people asking us about our technology um, and there are, they feel free to ask us what's coming next. We have to, might have to be a bit careful sometimes. We, we don't want our competition to know exactly what we're up to and what we're doing, where we're going. Um, we have to, as a tech company, because we're, we're patenting everything we do because it's the way we protect all our unique ideas and inventions. We have to be a bit careful about what we say, but we always try to engage people openly and honestly and tell them what we're doing next. That's great. Well, definitely keeping an eye on what you guys are doing. That's how I heard about the prototypes first from the mailing list myself. And uh, I'm, I'm very excited, uh, having heard these e-prototypes, very excited to see what USQ is coming up with next and looking forward to, uh, to talking again. Thanks very much, Tvedin. It's been great to talk to you. Okay, well, I hope you guys enjoyed that talk. All right, so let's talk about headphones in general. I mentioned... Um, before the interview, there are the different types, in-ears or uh, in-ear monitors or earbuds and over-the-ear headphones, open back, close back. So in general, I mean, headphones work a lot like speakers or dynamic microphones in reverse, right? So there's still some kind of driver in there that's connected through wires to some kind of amplifier, right? So we're passing current through the wires. And just like a speaker, you know, there's a coil in there that's causing the... the um, uh, some kind of diaphragm to move back and forth, and then those pressure fluctuations are perceived by our ears and by our brains as sound. So, it, you know, on the surface, it seems like it would be kind of similar to speakers. So if you think about, like, I have these monitors behind me, or, you know, we say monitors, kind of confusing term. We really mean speakers. is studio monitors, speakers, interchangeable terms. When I'm, when I'm sitting in front of my speakers, the sound coming out of the left monitor is reaching both of my ears, right, in reality. I mean, it's not like with headphones, like, like the, this is the right headphone cup is just hitting my right ear. Speakers are not doing that. And this is something called the shadow effect with headphones where, you know, the, the right channel is only hitting the right ear and the left channel is only hitting the left ear. And that creates a slightly different perceptual response, right? This is a slightly different way to perceive sound than with speakers. So that can do some funny things to us. So what does this mean? Well, let's go through scenarios that we would run into in a recording environment and talk about which kind of headphones would be most appropriate. So we'll start with tracking. So when we're tracking or recording, one thing we may care about is sound isolation. So for example, if we're singing into a mic, we don't want bleed from the headphones entering the mic possibly, right? Because it's going to create additional sound in the recording that we don't want to capture. We just want to capture our voice. Another case where we might want sound isolation is if we have something very loud, like a guitar amp in the room with us. Let's say, you know, no other way to get around it. The guitar amp is in the room with us. It's cranked loud because we like the way that sounds. Well, we may want something that's going to provide a little bit of sound isolation so that we can, first of all, hear the backing track while we record. Second of all, protect our hearing. And that case in particular is one where the IEMs or earbud type headphones are excellent. And that's 
where I have used them uh, historically is uh, when I'm in a loud room or if like, uh, you know, even if tracking drums or something like that, right? I may want, or for the drummer or as the engineer, you may want to wear those um, IEMs because they provide sound isolation almost like the way an earplug would do. And maybe tones, you know, something you can evaluate separately. So maybe you take some time to get your guitar tones right, but then for the actual tracking, you want that excellent sound isolation. But in-ears, as, as we talked about, notoriously are bad at frequency response. And you'll see all kinds of in-ears out there advertising, you know, multiple drivers and excellent frequency response. They struggle with it. Like I said, the, the, the e-prototypes from Flare Audio are really the first ones I've heard where I thought, okay, this is like a studio-grade uh, reference headphone. So, so in-ear monitors, definitely useful in tracking environments. Uh, next, we'll go to closed-back headphones. So a closed-back headphone is uh, an over-the-ear headphone. So the, the cups sit over your ears, uh, but they are kind of sealed in the back. So you think about what's happening there. You have uh, basically, again, it's like an in-ear uh, monitor in a sense because you have a fixed volume. It's all enclosed. So as that driver is pushing back and forth, it's pressurizing your ear cavity and the um, the cavity in the um, in the headphone cap itself and as it's coming back it's trying to pull that pressure so it's a bit of a weird effect um, not necessarily something you can hear but it feels weird I've always thought it's felt kind of weird and also it can be a bit isolating like you can start to go a little bit crazy if it, almost like you're in a padded room because you can't hear the environment at all. They do isolate the environment, not as much as the in-ear monitors, but still to a degree that is a bit, um, can be a bit uncomfortable working in long periods of time. The other thing is they get like hot because again, it's an enclosed space. There's really no ventilation. So your ears can start to get sweaty, you're itchy. And for that reason, they tend to be a little cumbersome or um, annoying to work in for, for long periods of time. That said, they do have application again in the studio. Um, one place I like to use them a lot is for tracking vocals because, as I said, they, they minimize bleed into the mic. Um, not as much as in-ear monitors, but um, you get kind of this um, kind of an immersive sound, I guess, for lack of a better term, with the things are big and over your ears, uh, but they don't let a lot of sound out of the headphone cups. And um, I also like to use them for tracking guitars, actually. I find that having not so much isolation as the in-ear monitors have, but still a little bit of ambient isolation helps me focus. And I find I can actually get tighter guitar recordings when I'm recording in closed-back headphones as opposed to open-back headphones or especially with the monitors. I just find like I'm more focused in on the rhythm and I can just play tighter usually. One of the challenges though when you're tracking in these things is making sure that your levels are set so that you can hear yourself loud enough as compared to the backing track. And uh, that can be challenging, especially for singers. I know a lot of times you'll see singers, my, my wife does this, I try to get her to wear the closed back headphones, but when she's tracking vocals, she tends to slip um, one cup off so she can hear herself. And there's ways you can get around that with um, direct monitoring or feeding back the signal from the microphone into the headphones 
if you do it well enough, then the singer doesn't necessarily feel like they have to um, uh, take a take a cup off. But you see it happen all the time, and it's 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 not the end of the world. Some singers just really need to hear the uh, their natural voice kind of coming out of their mouth and and back into their ears. And in that case, we get into our last headphone type and my personal favorite, the ones I'm wearing now, open back headphones. I shouldn't say my favorite because they all have their uses. But an open back headphone is similar to a closed back design, except on the side here, you have like a mesh and the driver, you could, if you were to look into it, you could actually see the driver. So the back is open and this does a couple of things. Uh, for one thing, it's less isolating so i can hear a bit of my ambient environment it also provides a bit of like ventilation or cooling right which is which which is nice and these are by far my favorite for mixing um, because they just feel more comfortable more natural to be in for for long periods of time and so these are the headphones that i would use for for example picking tones right and this is where we get into like really the power of headphones why you know talk about why why we really need headphones the headphones are a reference device for us. And it's important to have a pair that you kind of know and love and trust. And for that reason, it's good to listen to lots of music on your main pair of headphones because you can kind of start to get a feel for the way things sound. It's not something you have to consciously do. I was worried about that for a long time. I remember thinking like, I have to consciously be like calibrating myself. No, all you have to do is just listen to music and record and mix in a pair of headphones. Eventually you will start to know them and trust them. And for me, these headphones, I just use them for uh, a number of years now. And that's the other nice thing about headphones is they're portable. So I can, if I'm on the go, if I'm on the road, I can take these with me. I can still reference material, quote unquote, or I can still listen critically because I generally know how these things sound. I'll mention another thing that's helped me a lot with these headphones. We've talked about it on the podcast before, Sonarworks Reference 4. Now it's called uh, something else like Sound ID or something like that. This is a software that allows you to apply a kind of a calibration curve to your output. So the way they do this, they have um, a number of, well, first of all, you can send Sonarworks your exact headphones and they will measure their frequency response with their test rig. And then they will create a custom calibration curve, which kind of neutralizes the natural um, coloration or natural frequency anomalies of the headphones. But I'd, I haven't done that. You can, certainly can do that. But they also have, you know, probably 100 different headphone models you can select from. What they've done, for example, is, is measure a number, 5, 10, I don't know how many they do, and then they take an average curve uh, to account for the manufacturing discrepancies or whatever. So you can apply a, an average calibration curve to your headphone model, which will, quote-unquote, neutralize them. If you haven't tried this, I highly recommend it. Look at their headphones list, see which, what's available. It's a constantly growing list. Uh, you can download a demo and try it. That really made the big difference for me with with even with these headphones, which are Sennheiser uh, HD 600s. They were already good headphones. Once I can run the uh, Sonarworks software on them and I can run that on any of my computers, it really elevated my level of trust uh, to another degree. And what specifically, I think I've mentioned this before, what I noticed was I was hearing things the same way or similarly on my headphones running the Sonarworks as I was in the studio. 
And that, that clued me in on like, okay, I was getting somewhere where my referencing systems were starting to give me kind of the same information. I realized I was, you know, approaching some kind of convergence on whatever the truth can be in, uh, in audio. So if you haven't tried that, I highly recommend it. And if you're looking for a new pair of headphones, maybe uh, check out what models they have available for, uh, for Sonarworks and pick up one of those so you can, um, you can try that software. So in general, um, when, when mixing, it is, I, I find it to be kind of a more pleasant experience to mix using mostly monitors. I just find, first of all, I can work for longer periods of time. It just seems uh, like a more enjoyable process. But there are very specific times when I do use headphones. Well, I prefer to use headphones, um, like explicitly. And I'll give you uh, the, 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 the high-level overview of one that is is when I need attention to detail, precise attention to detail. So I look, I think of a headphones as a microscope, right? So for example, if I'm doing editing for that final bit of editing, or even if I'm just really honing in on, um, homing in on noises, clicks, pops, I will, I will use headphones. Again, it's a tool that helps me concentrate and, and really zero in on things, identifying noise, things like that. I will also use headphones towards the end. Anytime I'm making revisions where things tend to be very subtle, you know, one dB this way, one dB that way, I'm using headphones mostly for revisions. I'm also using headphones for that um, critical, let final critical listen difference during mastering, for example. When I'm comparing the song I was just working on to a reference track, I will use headphones to really kind of zero in on those, you know, the final 2%, as we call it. Uh, I'll give you another tip here just for monitoring in general. Um, when you're listening for dynamics, this can be the trickiest thing. I mentioned kind of three things I look for with headphones. Stereo imaging. That's just, you know, does the stuff, does the snare really sound like it's coming from the center? And can I, can I pinpoint where every instrument is coming from? Or is it just kind of a left to right blur and I can't tell where anything is coming from? So stereo imaging... Two, we said was frequency response is important. Three was uh, transient response, and that one can be the trickiest when you're when you're first starting out. So I'll give you a, a tip that's helped me a lot that I learned from um, from Gregory Scott, UBK. You may have heard of him, um, which is to turn your level, whether it's on speakers or on headphones, your monitoring level way down. When things are very quiet, the little transient pops and peaks of like the drums that can really be heard for some reason at those lower volumes. And so I've started doing that when I'm evaluating, for example, like bus compression settings. I have a compressor and I want to know the transient response. I will often uh, turn things way down and just listen for how the transients are hitting my ears. It can be a great way to set uh, compressor attack times. Well, that's it for working with headphones. I hope you were able to take something away from this. Again, uh, we do have an affiliate program with Flare Audio. So if you're interested in the e-prototypes, I kind of highly recommend them. They are an amazing headphone. If you're interested in picking a pair up, do so through our affiliate link, which is in the show notes. We really appreciate it. And until next time, it's Vadim reminding you to check yourself before you wreck yourself. See 
If you're enjoying the podcast, take a minute to leave a rating wherever you like to listen to it or share it with your friends on social media. Also, Benjamin and I are working engineers and we love helping people turn ideas into finished productions. So if you're interested in working with one of us or just want to discuss a project you're working on, reach out. You can find my work at calmfrogrecording.com. Get me on Instagram at calmfrogrecording or shoot me an email vk at calmfrogrecording.com. And you can check Benjamin's workout at dreamloudstudio.com. Hit him up on Instagram at dreamloudstudio or by email ben at dreamloudstudio.com. And finally, join our Facebook group to engage with a whole group of friendly, like-minded people who are interested in DIY recording. Just search for DIY Recording Guys on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening and for your continued support. I'll see you next week.